When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buddy Patriot Speed podcast, Alex Barth here, John Zanis as well. And uh, we were down in Foxborough today checking out some footballs. Pretty cool. Uh, first official day of training camp where fans got to come in and hang out and do stuff. And Alex got to break out his binoculars and he got to watch stuff. And got new binoculars. You know, yeah, they look pretty sleek. And in fact, I was going to ask, I, 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 I'm, I have binocular envy right now. I'll, uh, I'll shoot you a text. I'll get you the details. I want, it. I, I want them. I won't give uh, the brand unless they're going to kick me some money. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so again, uh, we're going to do, you know, one of these, uh, you know, each day of camp here talking about what's going on in terms of training camp. There's going to be a cast of characters revolving in and out of the podcast uh, over the next coming days and weeks here. Alex Barth, of course, always remains a mainstay. Uh, and it's going to kind of kick us off with our observations. And again, just to kind of set the table here, this was a pretty light day. This was a no-pads day. It was a funny helmets day. Um, it was uh, a teaching day. They've really spent the entire day pretty much working on red zone offense. There's not much you can glean from it, but there's still plenty of things to talk about, including uh, you know one receiver who I think we all agree really did stand out. And what's clearly, clearly, clearly become a delineation of responsibilities among the uh, you know offensive staff in terms of who's doing what. There was concern that Mac wouldn't get enough attention. He might, in fact, be getting three times the attention now. So it is interesting to kind of watch it. He's got three head coaches basically in his ear at all times right now. Um, so let's just kind of kick it off with your general thoughts, um, you know, on day one and how you, how you view today's practice. Yeah, so I what stood out to me and kind of just as the, the caveat to everything we're going to discuss today and really everything going to discuss throughout the rest of this week through practice on Saturday Bill said yesterday, and he said again today, that this is an extension of the spring. This is an extension of minicamp of OTAs. It's a teaching period. That's the term he likes to use. It's They're still installing a lot. They're still working with guys. Uh, it's it, it doesn't really become competitive, he said, and players echoed this too, until the pads come on. So what does that mean? That doesn't mean we, we can't take anything from these sessions. But when you look at guys, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about either side of the trenches today because no pads. Those guys can't really do what they want to do. We're going to talk about Devontae Parker like you talked about, but as a guy who plays physically, there's a caveat on that. What these days are good for, though, because they are teaching sessions, they want to drill guys on what guys are going to be doing. They're not really going through depth as much in these. Where guys are, player groupings, alignments, assignments, this is a good indication of how they view individual players on the roster and something that's been talked about leading up to camp on the show with certain players, uh, a lot of the linebackers, some of the safeties, guys on offense like Ty Montgomery, Nelson Aguilar. What will their roles be? What will their assignments look like in 2022? Will they be different? 
than they were in 2021. We get an indication of that. And John, like you alluded to as well, uh, I think we can start making assumptions about the coaching staff based off what we saw today. So we'll get into all of that. But that's just kind of the disclaimer on all of this. Not just that it's just one practice, but the pads weren't on. It was lower tempo. It's more about who was where. It's more about the 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 alignments and the assignments than the actual execution and the result yeah. of the place. And and we can start there because you can start with some of the stuff that we know you saw just in terms right. of who's lining up well. You have the cornerback grouping with Jalen Mills, Terrence Mitchell, and then Sean Wade kind of uh, pl- plugging in there as the third corner. John Jones isn't here to start the season because he's on the pup, and you imagine he's going to factor in there. But it does look like uh, Mills and Mitchell have the uh, inside track there on the outside. Um, in ter- in terms of other things you saw, how far down the chain Malcolm Butler appears to be here uh also Jawan williams just kind of in scrubville even though he did have an actually really physically impressive interception uh late in competitive drills so you do see that you saw groupings another grouping and again we could pick which one you want to go to you saw uh you saw trent brown playing left tackle isaiah Wynn being kicked over to right and you start to wonder is is this just the next stop on his way completely out the door? Because I do wonder what's going to happen there. Wynn seems like a guy who they could save a buck or two on. Um, so you do see that. The one thing I thought was interesting with the groupings, uh, receiver-wise, because we're going to start with Devontae because he's the player that popped, and that's sure. what people want to get excited about. But receiver-wise, the groupings were old guys and new guys, It's it looked like. It was born Aguilar. And, and uh, Jacoby Myers playing in one grouping. And then you had Parker with Tyquan Thornton and maybe Nixon mixing. I forget who else was in there um, at times when they were out there. And it looked like those were the groupings to start. So it doesn't look like a hierarchy has developed here. But if you're talking about will Mac have a favorite target? Will he have a number one receiver? Who's he going to develop chemistry with? You had to like what you saw from Parker today. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think, you know, he comes in kind of billed as that bully ball wide receiver. It's what Patriots fans remember him as, right? He, he's tortured them on a number of occasions. And you saw it. And again, no pads. We'll, we'll see if this carries sure. over when the defensive backs can hit him back. But just some physically impressive catches. I think the combination of, of size, of strength. And the one thing that stood out to me really with him is the catch radius. You don't necessarily need to put the ball on him complete the catch. And that's huge, especially in this system. There's been a lot of different wide receivers that have come here and succeeded, and it's hard to find a common thread. But one thing I think that stands out, you go all the way back to guys like Deion Branch and Troy Brown through guys, I'll, I'll even go, you know, Brandon Lloyd, Rob Gronkowski's a tight end. He falls into this category. Uh, Julian Edelman, of course, they're hands catchers. They can catch the ball away from their body. Devontae Parker can give a quarterback such a wide range where he can throw the ball to the left, to the right even up with his leaping ability. So they haven't had that really in a couple of years, really since Gronk left. That's what they drafted Nikhil Harry to be. Obviously that didn't pan out, but it's really exciting to see him kind of start down that road again. It's just one practice. We'll see if he keeps going that way, but especially for a young quarterback and a guy as accurate as Mac Jones, that's a great potential fit. A guy who can who can range that much and catch the ball like that and gives you some room for error because that's been the biggest thing for me with the Patriots receivers over the past couple of years. I know people knocked them as like not being good or whatever. What does that mean? They they did have ways to get open, but there wasn't a lot of room for error with a lot of those guys. I think Parker's a guy and Bourne I'd put in this category too are two guys that there's a little bit of room for error with the quarterback or room to get creative. You could phrase it that way as well and still find success. Yeah, you need a contested catch guy and you need a red zone threat. And you just didn't yeah. have it with either, uh, with, with anything. And, you know, one of my favorite stories that's not a story is uh, Devontae Parker switching to Nikhil Harry's 11, which was his original number, and then dropping it like seconds later when 
you know, you probably realized it was cursed, but like, you just need a guy. You need, you need somebody yeah. there who can do that, who can go up and grab the ball, make the contested catches. He did a couple of box outs today. And again, no pads. So the physicality there doesn't mirror what you're going to get during the season. He, uh, he, he was, he was able to go up and get uh, one or two balls as well. So nice to see that leaping ability is there. And yet you need it. If, if all he did was contribute to the red zone and help their red zone efficiency over what it was last year, which was near the bottom of the league, then, then it's a huge thing. If he becomes a guy who, as you said, Mac can kind of put it on him because he is so accurate. You might not, need that separation you might not need and he might be able to just use it he might be exactly what you were hoping Nikhil Harry was going to be exactly uh, yeah. the, the whole way through and we kept hoping and wondering can he do that and, and it obviously didn't happen I think Parker easily can be that guy and can really fit the offense yeah and uh, you know I think the term separation again to break that down I think people think of separation and, and when they picture that they picture guys like Tyree Hill 10 yards past a defender running away right that's one kind of separation. I there's another kind. There's other kinds of separation. The one I look at is physical separation. If your wide receiver six three in the corners five ten, there's natural separation there. There's vertical separation. If you have a guy that can leap, or if you have a guy that can maybe go way back over his shoulder to get the ball, there's separation there. Even if the wide receiver in the corner are kind of standing next to each other, right? So I think Parker can be that kind of guy, which is great, which is really exciting. And that's kind of what he started to show today is that he can maybe give you a little bit of that. And you see right there too, with the little high five, uh, already building a relationship with Mac Jones. And that's big too. You know, he just got here. They haven't thrown together a ton, but there did appear to be some chemistry is he proves my point wrong by missing that low throw. Actually, <laughs> that was a myth. That was one miss. There were actually two bad throws during that period of drills where we were allowed to shoot. And again, the video portion of practice is really, 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 really tight. And as tight, like as, I can, as tight as I can ever remember it being here um, in, in this particular session. And you don't get any of the competitive stuff. But that's the stuff where he really did shine in the, uh, in the, in the competitive drills and those red zone drills. Uh, and after one play, and again, people love to see this stuff. You know, he catches one in the corner, makes a good catch, uh, and runs over to the crowd. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, know. he did that a couple oh. times. You know, so he got so. into it. That was great. Between Parker and then Kendrick Bourne's energy, which just never friggin' stops. Good vibe, you know, from the receiver group today, and you definitely want to see that. Uh, you know, because it's it's one of the biggest areas of focus and concern for uh, all Patriots fans. Uh, moving off, of, while we're talking about receivers, I'm just going to ask you right now, sure. because again, the groupings here are going to be really interested. You assume Parker's got a role. You assume yeah. if he's not traded, they're going to try to fit Aguilar in there opposite him. If they're going two receiver sets and three receiver sets, if you have to make your prediction right now, who is it? I So, okay, so and again, my prediction it's and what I think yeah. they should do. Like, so my prediction is it's going to be Myers and Bourne and then Aguilar and Parker are going to be 50-50 for that third spot. Really? I think, yeah, what I think it should be, what I would do is I, I think Parker and Bourne should be on the field the most. I think those are your two best receivers. I love Aguilar and, and where's Evan for me to yell this at him? I love Nelson Aguilar in the slot. The speed slot, stretching the field like Mac had at Alabama with John Mechie. I, I just think that there, there's so much potential for that role here. Jacoby Myers is a good slot receiver, but he doesn't give you that element. He's he's more of a route runner than a burner. He's right? a catch and fall. He's a catch and fall guy. There's no yak right. there. Uh, and that's I that's the thing is I think there's so many people who are better suited for this offense 
uh, playing that slot position than what Jacoby Myers is going to bring you. Well, and so to me, I think he should be the odd man out because I think between Who, Bourne, yes, I think he should okay. be the odd man out because between Bourne and, as you said, playing Aguilar inside and the two tight ends, some of which you want to kind of run almost a slot, you know, uh, you know, up the seam and that uh, play the right. middle of the field there. I just don't know what Myers does for you anymore. I thought he was a great safety blanket when you had nobody capable of catching the ball. But now that you've brought Parker in here and you've got these other guys in year two, I, I, I hope he's not, I hope they don't keep using that crutch because they are used to it. I think there's still a role for him, right? I think in the red zone, he can be effective. I think when you get in those third and intermediates, you don't necessarily need to stretch the field entirely in those situations. Sometimes you want a guy who's going to run seven yards, find the hole in the zone, sit down and get the football. There, there's still a role for that, and Jacoby Myers is very good at that. He's going to get paid, you know, maybe up to $15 million a year uh, next year on the on the open market because he can do that. But for the most part, yeah, I, I, I love the idea of Aguilar in the slot. Really what it comes down to is there's going to be three guys that see significant playing time. There's going to be two guys that are on the field a lot. There's going to be a third guy who's on the field a good amount. And then there's going to be that fourth guy who probably pending injury ends up being like a – historically how they use their receivers – probably a, a 20 to 30, maybe 35% usage rate guy. So it's basically who's the odd man out. Who's going to be that guy. I think it's Myers. And I think Myers can still contribute and be good in a 30% ish role, right? Again, red zone, third and intermediate, third and short, even slightly beyond the red zone, just when there is no threat of a deep threat, because there's not that much room when you're starting a drive, right? First and 10 from the 25 yard line. Again, that's right. I, I think Parker's a guy who can beat you in a number of ways. Bourne's a guy who can beat you in a number of ways at all three levels. And then Nelson Aguilar is your guy who can stretch the field, but he does it from the slot and complicates things for the defense schematically. That's the group I really like. Um, yeah, I, 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 and I, I see where you're coming from there, but uh, you're looking for playmaking. You're looking for more dynamic plays, more explosive plays. And I want to see it wherever I can get it. Um, uh, moving on from receivers, we talked about the cornerbacks a little bit here. This is an area where I think people are going to be a little bit squeamish when you kind of, you know, run your yes. way through the depth, depth chart. Uh, Jalen Mills is unquestionably CB1 on this team, you know, and I think a lot of people are hoping that a Jones comes in, uh, you know. Well, well, uh, hold on, which one? You got to be more specific <laughs> when you say that with this team. <laughs> it, it, it's multiple choice. It's multiple choice, but you've got three Joneses. But I mean, I think uh, there's a Jack seems to be the dark horse okay, starter, yeah, so, yeah. you know, uh, coming in there. Otherwise, it's it's uh, Mitchell. Uh, and that's pretty freaking scary, too. But again, you're going to be you're going to have six and seven D backs on the field at all times here. Uh, so, you know, that's just how things go in the NFL. Uh, so I don't know that matters as much about CB1 and CB2, but you are a little bit worried here um, that you just really don't even have one guy you feel really confident in, let alone. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say Jones when he's healthy last, we saw him healthy was extremely solid in his role. And Mills played pretty well as a number two last year, but it's still pretty shaky. Yeah. I mean, you feel okay about Mills. You like for their, like if they had JC Jackson on the other side, you love Mills. It, it, it too. I think it one, you're right. It is interesting. And then to me, it comes down to three guys on the boundary. It comes down to Jack Jones, Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell. And I think, with Malcolm Butler, he played at a high level the last time he played, but that was two years ago. He's had a year away from the game. The track record of 32-year-old corners is not great. The statistics mean nothing to the individual, but it's an uphill battle for him. That's what that tells us. Right. So that that's the question mark with him. Jack Jones looked good in the spring, but it was non-padded practices. It was two practices. He's a rookie. So there's some uncertainty there. Like, do I think eventually he'll get there? Sure. Will he get there in year one? 
I, I think you might be asking for a bit much. And then to me, Terrence Mitchell is like the safety option, right? If Terrence Mitchell was the third corner, because they like to rotate with three guys. If he was the third guy, I feel okay about that. I feel good about that. As the second guy, if you're going to put him in like that 90% usage rate range, and that's what he's been the last two years, but go look how those teams finished. Then I'm like, all right, well, you, you really need him to improve his game another level for him to play that role and play it successfully. So yeah, it is. And then uh, we can put Juwan Williams in this category too. And that's not, it's, it's almost by process of elimination. They need boundary corners. They're short on boundary corner because this is not a large group of, of individuals we're talking about for a starting role. But then, you know, the guys who don't win the starting role, it's not like they're going to get cut. They're going to be the backups. Yeah. All three of those guys I named before Williams are going to make the team for depth. There's a chance Williams does too. Just again, they need boundary corners. So I know Patriots fans don't want to hear it. And it's not to say like he's earned this chance for to be a potential starter, but this is the way the roster looks. He's within reaching distance of at least a rotational role, just based on the the position he plays and the other players at that position on the roster. So you have any expectations for Butler or um, uh, Jesus or Jawan at this point? Uh, Butler a little bit. I think there's value in keeping him as a rotational guy just because they're so young at that position. Having having him make the roster so he can be in the room as a mentor, I think there's value in that. But, of course, he has to give you something to do that. Um, so if he can make it as the third guy, I call that a win. With, with Jawan, I mean, I'd I'd love to see it. He's, he's tremendously physically talented. We saw it with the interception today. But it's just, you know, when you get to this point with, with a draft pick, you know, four years in here, contract I, year, what's, what is different this year that he wasn't doing the last three years? And really the only thing that's different is there's less depth ahead of him. That might make it more likely for him to make the team. Right. Yeah. But that's not necessarily encouraging about him as a player. It just means he's more likely to make the team. Yeah. Um, so th- that's an observation in terms of how it plays out. There's room. There's a lot. Here's the thing. This is the one position group where it would not be shocking to see um, the depth chart completely flip on its head before the end of training camp. So, again, this is what you're starting with because these are the known commodities uh, that exist. But there are people who could play their way uh, into starting roles here or really mix up the depth chart. Um, So we'll see how that goes. All right, real quick, we want to take a pause and tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. And of course, the Patriots Beat Podcast and the entire CLNS Media Network is powered by Bet Online. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. They have it all. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our code CLNS50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, the code is CLNS50. Receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. One thing that was clear, and I said we can't learn – the things you learn most from Alex, like you said, is – uh positional groupings and uh you know what we saw on the field in terms of the play calling so again i don't know what it is arrogance stubbornness whatever you name matt patricia the offensive line coach he doesn't spend a second with the offensive line you know yates is over there doing all of that work and he's basically clearly calling the plays in competitive drills and joe judge is clearly the guy in max ear during positional drills. So it seems very clear at this point, Patricia for better, or for worse is a de facto 
um, offensive coordinator uh, with input from Bill Belichick, and Judge is the quarterback's coach. So that's what we've got there. Everybody talked about it today. Uh, they talked about, uh, you know, Mac talked about it. Trent Brown had it as well. That, well, what's interesting is you have some of the best defensive minds here who really understand how defenses work, and that's really helping us understand the offense. I don't know how much stock I put in that. I think you say that because you have to say it. It's still pretty friggin' weird that Matt Patricia is the offensive coordinator. You go from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia. doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just still doesn't feel good. So I, the really interesting thing to me with the coaching staff, though, and you mentioned Joe Judge being in the quarterback's ears. There were times where he was with the other skill positions. What's really interesting to me in all of this is with Mac Jones, right, as you're developing second-year quarterback, you want to have a coach with him at all times. Judge is going to have other responsibilities, whether he's the play caller or not. And right now it looks like the answer to that is not. Who's going to be the other guy, right? McDaniels was the quarterback's coach last year. He had other things going on. And they had a guy named Bo Hardigree on the coaching staff, who basically was the assistant quarterback's coach and really just stuck with the quarterbacks. Bo Hardigree joined Josh McDaniels in Vegas, right? Patricia calling the place to me is interesting, but I, I don't know, John, you tell me. I wouldn't put it past them that tomorrow Joe Judge has the walkie-talkie. Right. Yeah. And we go back and forth right. on this. Yeah. So they, they could be, they could be screwing with us. So before we, before we go down that road, my big coaching takeaway from today, and I wrote about this somewhat extensively on 985thesportsup.com, extensively enough that it's worth reading, is that again, that Bo Hardigree role, there's so in addition to Judge being with the quarterbacks for most of practice, Evan Rothstein was with the quarterbacks the entire time. Now, who's Evan Rothstein? Evan Rothstein came to New England with Matt Patricia from Detroit. He was he was with Patricia in Detroit, and he was basically Patricia's Ernie Adams. He had a bunch of different titles, like they changed it every year, but it was something, it always was something along the lines of research and analysis. And that was the role he was in here last year. It seemed like as Ernie's heir apparent. And this year, though, they've changed his title. He's now an offensive assistant. And if you really go through his background, and it's all on the Patriots website, I won't bore you with the whole resume, but he has his, his basically his history is as a game planning specialist. He looks at, you know, what are our tendencies? What are the other team's tendencies? How do our weaknesses match up with their strengths? How are our strengths match up with their weaknesses? What should we blah, 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 right? He's a guy that just knows how to read tape and pick it apart. I, I really like the idea of that guy spending a lot of time, not just with Mac Jones, with all the quarterbacks, but obviously Mac Jones is the story here. That's a really interesting one to me. There's another guy on the coaching staff named Tyler Hughes, who's a more traditional quarterbacks coach, who's been a bit of a journeyman. His resume is more similar to what Bo Hardigree's was. I thought he was going to be the guy around the quarterbacks. Them putting Rothstein in that spot tells me, and again, it's early, but but my first thought was they're going to put more on Max plate this year at the line of scrimmage. And that was something that was talked about a lot last year. Remember, we were asking Bill, you know, can Mac change the plays at the line? Is he allowed to change the plays at the line? We were asking Bill. We were asking Josh. We were asking Mac. This doesn't mean he could or couldn't. It doesn't answer that question. But it tells me that they're going to put more on his plate to, to diagnose things there, to, to make adjustments and all of that. That excites me. That's something you want from your year two quarterback. And he's a guy I think can really help Mac emphasize what is the best part of his game. And, and look, this is all good in theory. The, the, the thing here is um, it's ripe for scrutiny. Uh, and that's sure. the point is you've opened yourself up to like early questions if anything goes wrong, which may or may not have anything to do with the coaching or, uh, you know, who's, who's running what positional group or the play calling. It might have nothing to do with any of it. Right. Um, 
But one way or the other, you've put yourself in a weird position. And that's the one thing I've never fully understood. Um, you know, and of course, you know, day one of camp, everyone's going to say that they're on board with it here. It just still seems like an odd fit uh, and still seems like something that we're going to continue to talk about at all points in time, you know, during the season. Anytime that you sure. see anything not seem right with the offense, people I think are going to oh, jump yeah. there. So I don't know that that's like, why put, why create that potential drama? Why, you know, Bill's normally good at avoiding that. Why create a situation where you're putting somebody in a place where they might be heavily scrutinized whether or not they deserve it? Well, so if I had to guess, a lot of his avoiding drama at times, one of his strategies to do that is to shift attention, right? Remember, yeah, it's on me, night, right? That or like they've, they've done weird things, you know, like when they signed Tim Tebow, right? So maybe he knows Matt Patricia can take it. He can take the beating and they all know what it is inside the building and inside the building, there's no confusion and there's no gray area and the roles are clearly assigned and that's how he likes it. And if it means he gets away with the alignment he wants, which might not have been popular. And that means that Matt Patricia takes some extra lumps in the media. So be it. That's just part of the job. Like that would be my guess is he's comfortable with what it is within the building. And he knows the people that might get that undue criticism can take it. And that's what you have. I did want to talk about, we did want to pivot to Mac Jones. And again, it's not much, you're not seeing much. I'll just ask you this beforehand. Just seeing Mac out there on a very light day like today, what, what, what if anything, was a noticeable difference over the guy we saw last year? Well, and obviously just, physically is one, but just right. in terms of his attitude and his command, you know, yeah. I, I really do think he has the affect of a seven-year veteran rather than a year-two guy just in the way he, uh, he, he carries himself. But again, it's super early in camp. Spot on. No, that's what I said in the spring, that it, it felt like he's been here for a while and – it wasn't until after practice today that I was writing that it hit me. Today was Mac Jones' first practice as a starting quarterback in the NFL, first training yeah. camp practice as a starting quarterback in the NFL, right? This time last year, he was competing with Cam. So you look at the way he has the, the – you said it, the command, the rapport he has, not just with the receivers, but with everybody on the team, the way he's hyping people up. You can hear him. He's a vocal leader. The one that stood out to me – and this this seems like a mundane thing, but it's not is there was a, I don't remember if it was one-on-ones or seven-on-sevens. It was actually Brian Hoyer was the quarterback at the time. And he threw a ball to Nelson Aguilar and Aguilar went up and made a great catch. And what happens? Mac, who was standing on the sideline, comes sprinting across the field, screaming at the top of his lungs, runs right up to Aguilar. They shoulder bump, right? There was another one. Again, it was Hoyer as the quarterback. It was, you mentioned it earlier, the lone interception. Juwan Williams picks the ball off. And there was some, you know, did he get his feet in and did he get his feet in whatever? What does Mac do? He comes running up. He grabs the ball away from Juwan Williams. He starts waving it in the air, right? It's his team. It's his team. He's involved in everything. When he's not the quarterback, when he's not under center, when he's not throwing the ball, he is still fully engaged. He's still interacting with guys, all of that. For a second, you're a player, a new player. And it helps with a lot of this problem. But he's... It, it, it's, he's clearly comfortable with everybody on the roster. And for a guy in his second year in his first camp as the starter, I think that's a tremendous sign. Yeah. The one thing I want to see when we do get uh, uh, 
uh, further on into it. The one thing that stood out for Mac last year, in addition to just how he looked physically, and he looked kind of small, and obviously he still had a little bit of the college dad bod going, but uh, how frustrated he got when things didn't go his way. I am curious when things start to get a little bit more competitive and the pads go on, what that's going to be, because that was something that kind of lingered a little bit through the year. You had Bill Belichick grabbing him by the wrist and leading him off the field, and there was times where he would just get so upset at himself when things wouldn't go so I do want to see how he's handled that but the other thing that got a lot of publicity that people were talking about uh, was yesterday when Bill Belichick who doesn't say nice things about anybody unless he's about to cut them or they've retired um, (laughs) had this to say about Mac Jones uh, and, and, and his leap from year one to year two yeah, I think Mac's done a great job. Uh, he's he's worked extremely hard. Uh, he's got a tremendous work ethic, and uh, in all areas, um, you know, I think there's a dramatic improvement. Um, his, you know, his physical uh, work and conditioning, um, working on his mechanics, working on his footwork, working on his understanding of our offense, of opponent defenses, of situations, um, all those things. Um, we've talked about all those things in varying degrees, some more emphasis than others, and the emphasis on maybe some other things will come later on. Can't do it all at once, but, yeah, he's worked hard. He's made tremendous strides, and, and um, you know, he did a great job last year, but he's starting from a much, much higher point this year than, than where he started last year. So, um, you know, his, his off-season work has been significant, and, I think everyone recognizes, um, you know, how how well he prepares um, and how much further along he was than than he was a year ago. So, great, really nice things to say about Mac. You want to hear that about Mac? My question to you is why? Uh, nothing. Bill Belichick doesn't do anything without a reason. Why do you think he felt the need to go out and really uh, pump, you know, Mac's tires before day one of uh, before day one of training camp? Because it's just not something you you see a lot. So it's really interesting. Let me follow that up with this. I, I asked Bill about Raekwon McMillan Teddy, who's a player I really like, is, is coming off a torn Yeah, SEO. he's being nicer to everybody, right? So I, I have the quote right here. I, I just said, what have you seen from him? You know, he, he's coming back from this big injury, missed a whole season. What have you seen from him since then? Here's Bill. Raekwon works really hard, really smart player, has experience, understands a lot at the linebacker position. Obviously, there's a lot going on there, but he handles things well. Signal caller multiple position player. It's good to see him back out there. He looks like he's recovered very well. And based on what we saw in the spring in limited looks here this first week, I'd say he's doing very well. So Bill just said he complimented him. He acknowledged he's a potential signal caller. He won't say he's calling the place, but he'll say who's relaying them. And, and Bill has been hesitant to talk about who's relaying the signals on defense before he gives an injury update. Don't usually get that from Bill, right? He's recovered. Well, um, and he, he, you know, normally when you ask him about a player, well, there's a lot of guys out here, right? He, he won't generally touch on specific players in camp, especially a guy, I don't want to say far down the roster, but further down the roster like McMillan. Maybe this is Bill now. Maybe this is just who he is, you know, because nice now it's Bill. a pattern. Now there's yeah. two. Maybe he's he's giving players their due when, when they're given their due. You know, it'll be really interesting to see, because I'm sure this will happen, if Mac starts to, and I don't think Mac will struggle, but... If Max starts to struggle, I'm sure somebody would ask Bill about those comments, right? And, you know, you said you saw dramatic improvement. What happened that it's not translating? It would be interesting to see what he said then, or like McMillan or whatever, right? This might just be Bill now, though. 
he might just, you know, it's a it's a new era. It's a new kind of player. It's a whole new generation. Think about it, the, the guys he was coaching 15, 20 years ago came up completely differently than these kids did. They, they, they didn't have the, you know, the camps, the high school camps, the showcases, sh- social media wasn't a thing. I mean, it's a completely different mentality. I wonder if he's just adjusting to that. Yeah, and it, 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 there is a track record of Bill over the years where when he has these kind of underdog little engine that could teams, he definitely has a little bit of a different vibe in terms of the way he talks about them and he treats them, trying to lift them up. Um, and so, you know, again, when expectations are a little bit lower, as they might be this year, and I know they made the playoffs last year, uh, he does tend to get that way. Uh, maybe he's softening in his old age. I'm not really sure. But the Mac thing really jumped out here. Now, how much better do you think he can – I mean, what's realistic from 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 year one to two? Because that's the whole friggin' that's the whole ball game, really. Like you know, if he makes some progression with a receiver group that, while it has some potential, is probably not going to be explosive enough or dynamic on its own uh, for the Patriots' offense to really take off. Uh, you know, without Mac being a, a, a wizard and 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 taking three, four, five leaps forward, I don't know where the offense necessarily goes. Is he capable of it? Yeah, I think so. I think you've got you've seen guys take big second year leaps. You know, the, honestly, the question to me is, I, I can see a world where he's better, but the offense as overall as as a whole takes a step back. You've got a reworked offensive line. We just discussed the coaching staff, right? But so you should have all of the guys you added last year and year two. You did, that's the thing is like you would think that would be better though, right? Whether Henry, Janu, uh, and Ag- Aguilar, you I mean, I know you got some out of Henry, but you think you'd get a little more there, no? Well, I, I wonder, but it's not so much about the pass catchers as it is about the offensive line. Yep. And we, we saw it again today. Trent Brown at left tackle, Isaiah went at right tackle. So that switch seems like that's a thing. It wasn't an experiment in the spring. This is what they're going with. Uh, you're going to have, you know, two, your, your two primary starting guards from last year are gone. I know Owen, who started summit guard, but at the end of the year, when that group was really clicking, it was Ted Karras and Shaq Mason. They're both elsewhere, right? You are potentially looking at a situation where you have four new starters on the offensive line. And the fifth starter, the guy returning is missing time in camp right now is on the PUP list. And David Andrews, Remember early on last year when they had to juggle the offensive line? And look, Mac was a rookie then, so maybe it's not as big of a problem, but there were issues with blitz pickup. There were issues with communication. It was a real problem. I think that, more than anything else, stalled the offense out early last season was the issues up front. Now here we go again. I just said it. Four new starters and a new, almost an entirely new coaching staff. And you mentioned the offensive line coach is going to be preoccupied. Like, that's my biggest issue. I think... There's a real chance that, you know, we're sitting here at some point in October saying, man, Mac looks better when he has time, but they just can't get him time. Like I, yep. if something goes wrong with the offense this year, I think that's what the discussion is going to be. It's not going to be, oh, they didn't add enough at wide receiver. Oh, you know, John Smith still isn't clicking. It's going to be what's going on with the offensive line. Yeah. And that's the issue. That was the issue to start last year. Uh, and it's, you know, un- until things solidified a little bit um, and that, is just a killer before things get started here. Um, again, we haven't seen a ton here out of, you know, Cole Strange, but like, do you see him? He's a question being, mark. He's a question mark. Like, I it's don't fair. know. He's, he's a rookie. I don't know if he's a, a plug and play guy, you know, like uh, I, I, a lot of people, you know, the philosophy when they drafted a guard to begin with, let alone Cole Strange, which was, you know, a bit of a, you know, uh, you know, an outlier, just a, a you know, 
not on anyone's radar, at least at that point in the draft, was they need a starting guard. They're going to go draft a guard. They drafted right. a guard. They plug him in and play. That's not the case with Strange. No, I would agree. Look, I'm not the former host of this podcast. So I'm not going to have a total meltdown over the fact. No, that as Evan Strange, did. And by the way, but... I know there's some sad people in the chats here with Evan. Uh, <laughs> you, you will be seeing Evan Lazar from time to time on this podcast, and I wouldn't be shocked if you saw him in the very, very near future. Uh, Evan has a new gig, but Evan is still a very much a friend of CLNS, so we do expect uh, you will be seeing Evan's face on this channel uh, quite often. But again, we're going to let Evan get his feet on the ground here. Uh, as he begins his new venture over at Patriots.com. But yeah, and Evan's not allowed to say those things about Cole Strange anymore. So you're you're the one who's – he can't say that over well, there. Well, no, but look, here's that, like I'm not going to have a meltdown over it. That's sunshine.com. Only you can say it, you know. He's not – well, still 98.5 official broadcast partner. So the Yes, you are. are totally you, have some, you have some – you have some – you have some – But – You got to tiptoe. I, so, so I'll, like, I'll say this. I think Cole Strange was the, the best guard on the board at the time they took him. I think that guard was technically their biggest need if you take away positional value. So it's it's a matter of to me, I like I don't know the is is the best guard on the board at the 30th pick always as good as Cole Strange. I think some years it's better. The the but the point with Cole Strange is he is a question mark. He's not there were two NFL ready guards in this draft. I think he was the fourth guard to go, fourth or fifth, depending on how you there's some guys that might have been tackles, might have been guards, depending on how you looked at him, right? I think, and he's coming from a smaller school. I think there are some questions. I, you know, I, I looked at him maybe getting bull rushed a little bit. I think when he can get himself set, his technique is strong enough that he can hold him his own, but he's going to be tested physically early on. And can he hold up? I think that's a question. Uh, I, I think just, he Michael, he looks kind of not big. So, <laughs> you know, like you, the I, thing that I gets see, me about I see him as athletic, but I'm like, that's a starting guard. He just doesn't look like it to me, you know? The, the thing that gets me about Cole Strange is everybody like and, and I see the pictures people post. He's not that big. Everybody's posting pictures of him next to Trent Brown. OK, nobody looks big enough next to Trent Brown. Let's just let's be fair to Cole Strange there. I But I even think, you know, a guy like Michael Onwenu, and I, I think he's a really good player. I personally think he's a tackle. I think he's better at right tackle. We've seen him play somewhat significantly now at both spots. Can he play guard? Sure. But. There were some issues there last year where I think he was more solid at tackle. So that's a question mark to me. Uh, Trent Brown's a great player, and I actually like him better at left tackle, but can he stay on the field? Right. That's a question. And then Isaiah Wynn hasn't played right tackle, so that's a question. So there's just, you know, it's not necessarily to say the whole thing's going to fall apart like the first snap. Mac is going to be like Paul Crew in the longest yard when all the linemen want to get back at him. But there's a lot that has to go right there for that group to, to mirror the success they a had lot has to go right their peak last their season. Kit, a lot has to go right with people you're not playing out of position from last year. Right. You know, all, uh, multiple people playing out of position well, and uh, an unknown and strange kind of plugging in there. So, again, it could go great, but a lot of question marks. You know, you always like, again, you always like to enter with uh, unless rather than if. You know, they'll be right. fine unless instead of they'll be fine if this is a they'll be fine if scenario. And you're asking for a lot of things to go right and uh, maintain health uh, throughout because it's not only the starters, but you're questioning the depth. And these these are two areas, both the old line and the cornerback group that are the ones where you're going to enter in camp and you're going to be like, are they going to be able to sustain this? You know, is this, is this going to be enough? And it could, you could be pleasantly surprised. And you're like, wow, this group came together in a way I never saw 
uh, happening here. And this is amazing play. Um, and again, you, you know, you got some of that last year from the cornerback position without Gilmore, um, you know, with JC elevating himself to a clear cut number one and Jalen Mills being a solid number two. You weren't as worried there about that. But I, you know, both of those both of those uh, slots right now are going to be a little bit uh, a little bit dicey. Sure. Well, I, the other thing about the offensive line is just and, and, and not to keep picking on the group because so you just compared them to corners, right? I think in theory, they have a starting five. They have a starting five that in theory you can feel good about. Corner, I don't go that like, I, do they have a starting second corner, right? That's a question. They We know if all things go well, we know who the starting five are on the up front. At the corners, even if all things go well, we don't necessarily know who the starters are. The, the thing about the offensive line that would kind of bail them out last year, they had six starting caliber players. When you factored in, uh, it, it was Ted Karras who started the year on the bench and then Michael and Wenu. If they needed to move things around, they could do that while still having, you know, the, that caliber of player on the field. There's six off starting offensive linemen this year. It might be Justin Huron, who's like a fringe starting caliber player, but he doesn't have the positional flexibility that a guy like Michael and Wenu had. Um, I don't really know who else it would be, honestly. I, I, I think it is Haran, and he's really just a tackle. If you're going to start moving guards around, you, you get into uh, uh, James Ferentz, you get into Cody Rusi, who's a, UD, a UDFA that I like, but is somewhat of an unknown. Like, that's the difference to me between last year and this year. They could play with it last year. I don't know how much how much they can move the pieces no, this year. I mean, you've work. got Haran, and you've got, uh, you know, uh, Yadni as well. Um, who could theoretically supplant win at right tackle if you decided to move on there. But I don't know if you're kicking those guys inside. See, I would, I would almost rather, if, if they have to, you know, pull that ripcord, move on winner to right tackle and let's see one of these other guys at guard. Yeah. I think if, if they do have to make an adjustment, sure. that's the first adjustment I would make. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be stunning if that if that went down that way. Um, but yeah, definitely a question mark, and you'll see a little bit more. And as you said, Alex, it really doesn't get going until Monday, where you see these guys going heads up, uh, right. you know, against players on the other side of the ball, and see how they're holding up there. And then, of course, when you have uh, you know competitive practices against other teams um, uh, as well, and that's going to be something that's interesting. A couple other just kind of uh, you know uh, picking up the pieces, sort of things. Again, it's not a it's not a group that you're loving right now, but uh, it looks like it's uh, Bentley and uh, and Raquan McMillan, who you talked about earlier, kind of coming in as the top linebackers. With Mac Wilson, kind of came in in some coverage situations there. It looked like that that seems right. That seems like what you would expect, uh, you know, uh, to to see them start the season with. Yeah, I actually really like the linebacker group. I think there's I, not in terms of like oh they're going to come out and dominate, but I there's think there's a lot people of people who can potential. do different things. Yes, right. I think they've built it well. I think it's a very complete group. I think that they've made the adjustments they need to make from last year. You're right. I think McMillan's a good kind of more sideline to sideline, early down alternative to play next to Bentley, who's much more north-south. Mac Wilson, to me, is a borderline safety. He's a money backer. I like him on yeah. third downs. And then Cameron McGrone's in the picture, too, and I think he kind of exists somewhere in between those two, where he's a more versatile guy. You know, are any of those guys pro bowlers? I, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I think they're all starting caliber players. I think they're guys, if you use them situationally, if you let them play to their strengths, and again, they all have slightly different strengths, you can really maximize their talent. So I, I, I do, and then you have Juwan Bentley, obviously, who's who can kind of bring the whole group together. He's the veteran. He's going to be a run stopper. You're going to let those guys play more creatively by playing next to Juwan Bentley. I really like that group. I do. I, I I think there's a lot of upside there. I'm really excited to see how that one pans out. And I know people compare it to corner, right? Where they're like, well, we don't, there's all these guys and we don't know who the starter is going to be. The difference is 
there's a lot of untapped potential linebacker, right? There's reasons to be excited about those guys where at the cornerback position, you go through the names and the first thing that comes to mind is the reasons they probably won't work out. So I, it, it, to me, it's, they're kind of in the same spot. Maybe they're on a level right now, but the linebacker group is trending up. Well, the cornerback group is maybe trending the other way. Yep. A couple leftover thoughts. We kicked around receivers. I did want to mention, you know, and again, everything is with the caveat that like, it's, not real football. They're just running right. around in t-shirts and, and shorts playing catch. Uh, but Tyquan Thornton uh, is just Looks someone you, you can't take your eyes off of. You know, it's just you watch him because you want to see what he's going to do. He's so lanky. But, I mean, you can see the burst. You can see some speed. He made some, he made some good catches, made a really good sideline catch. Might have been out of bounds. It's hard for us to tell uh, when they were playing over there on the other end of the field. But there's just some moments where it's just, you know, they threw to him in these drills, in these in situations. He came up with most of the balls kind of went his way. But he's kind of that X-Factor wild card where you're like, well, what if, what if that was a hit? What if he pops? Like, could that change the dynamic of things? And again, it's just day one. But your thoughts kind of watching him running around out there today. Yeah, he moves incredibly well. And it's yeah. not just a line speed thing. There's not a lot of guys that size, especially, first of all, there's not a lot of guys that size that fast. First right. There's not a lot of guys that size or that fast that are as quick as he is. And, and the difference between speed and quickness is speed is straight line. It's the 40-yard dash. Quickness is like the three-cone three drill. It's how quick you get in and out of cuts, how well you change direction, do you lose a lot of speed in that, et cetera, right? He really just, in all phases of the game, moves well. He attacks the ball aggressively as a wide receiver. I talked before about being a hands catcher. He's another one. He's a hands catcher. I think we're going to see it right here, right? He catches this ball. Yeah, yep. look at that. Away from his body, right there, right in the eyes. So, so far, he's checked all the boxes. There's no reason to be concerned yet. Now, the big thing is his size. What's it going to look like once guys can knock him around a little bit? That becomes the big question. We won't start to answer that until Monday. But really, to this point, again, checking every box, there's no well, he could be better with this or he could be better with that. If this was a guy who was, you know, he's 6'3". So let's even call it 195 pounds. We're all drooling right now, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of how is he going to be able to handle some of this contact. If he, and he doesn't need to be great at it. He doesn't, and his release package is good, like the footwork, right? So he yeah. can avoid some of that physical contact. If he's just average at, you know, shucking defenders and, and, and getting defenders away from him with the hands, that that's a hit. He's going to be a player. It's just a matter of how well is he going to respond to guys getting in his chest off the line. Yeah, and it's again, it's an unknown. You're not really going to know until you see him go up against defenders, have to beat guys off the line, more competitive drills. And again, you saw really none of that on day one, uh, and and you, I don't expect you're going to see much uh, in the early going here. But eventually, you know, you're going to get a better read on Thornton and whether or not he can play. Yeah, you know, I, I the range of the range of possible outcomes on him goes from potentially working his way into a major league contributor to medical red shirt, you know, well, <laughs> you so know, like it's funny. <laughs> it wouldn't be stunning if they comes up with the, Ooh, my hamstring. And he just it gets the medical Fox red Burrow shirt flu. too. Yeah. The Fox I, I, flu. I think like big picture with him. I was saying this the other day, how many guys with that size speed combination, right? They're all either elite or they're bumps. There's no, none of those guys are just fine. None of those guys are just okay. Right. None of those guys say, oh, he's a solid number two receiver, right? They're, they're all legit number ones or they're, you know, people were throwing out John Ross or, or John Ross or Darius Hayward Bay last time I said this. Uh, yeah, it, it really feels like he's going to be some sort of extreme. The question is, which way is he going to go? Yep. And I, I don't know, but it's, again, it's a guy who 
you know, every time you mention him, people get really excited. So it's, you talk about, you know, what are you looking for at camp? That's going to be, I think that's the number one player who's going to, who people are going to be really looking at and scrutinizing to see sure. how does he look? Can he hold up? And, and again, you know, it's just day one, but obviously everything you saw today, he looks like a player. The other thing, the question mark kind of entering camp and we don't know how it's going to shake out the running back situation. Uh, Pierre strong wasn't out there. Um, but you do wonder what's going to happen here where you have Stevenson and, uh, and, uh, and Harris, uh, you know, uh, there, I, I know Damian Harris was really good. I know he ran hard last year. I again, it's just practice, but I'm watching Ramonde Stevenson out there today, and he just looks different uh, to me. I don't know if he's a little bit leaner and quicker this year, but just almost every single thing that he did, from just a regular drill to whatever it is they were doing, he just looked impressive to me. And I I don't know how this is going to play out. I know Harris could potentially be a trade candidate if some team were to need a a back or somebody an early down sort of. Uh, a player, but how do you see this playing out in the early going? Sure. I, I think it's important to remember that you can never have enough depth at running back, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to do Steven Jackson again. And having those guys spell each other and, and they both talked about it last year. They're both yeah. such physical runners and they take so much out of the defense that, you know, those defensive linemen aren't rotating. Those defensive linemen are staying in the game. So when they're taking blow after blow, but you know, yep. Harris is coming in after rest because Stevenson had a series and vice versa. Like, no, you I, love I, that. If you're right, if that's going to be the type, if that's the type of team you're going to be, but yeah. I, right. Well, I, I think that that's going to be maybe not as much as it was last year, but that's going to be part of their identity. It has to be the way they're built. Having each of those guys are better because the other one's on the roster. It's a, Do you, you think know, that's their identity? Do you think it's bully ball smash mouth stuff when we're talking about the offensive line here uh, and some questions and concerns here? Or do you think it's spread it out and let Mac use his quick processing speed and go? Well, I, I think it's both. I think, you know, you spread it out in the passing game. So this was the problem last year, right? Late in the season, teams realized all they were doing was running the ball. They started putting seven to eight guys in the yeah. box and there was no reason not to. So I think ideally what the identity is, is you spread the ball out you force that defense to thin out in the box, and now you have options. Because if you can run this threat, this spread successfully, it's going to force that defense to take linebackers off the field, to take safeties out of the box. And now you can you can have a little more success with smash mouth football. Now you really make the defense think you're not one-dimensional. So I think their running game identity is still going to be very smash mouth. I think they just want to be able to mix it with the pass a little bit more. I don't think they wanted to be as run-heavy as they were last year. I think that was just by necessity because that's what worked right? They're never, that's always going to be a part of their game. I think it's just, just being more balanced is the goal this year. Yeah. Um, any cleanup thoughts for you, Alex, in terms of the other stuff that you saw today or things you're expecting for tomorrow? Um, well, I'll just say like somebody just pulled up the, the, the James White rule, right? I think that's a big one to watch. And while they're in red zone work, that's something that we get a good look at. Uh, and you no mentioned James Pierre, White today either. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. He's on PUP. You mentioned Pierre Strong was limited. He's a guy I think factors in there. So it's, you know, is it Ty Montgomery? Do they see him as a running back, even though he's so, listed as a wide receiver? Ty's With, a guy that is interesting, right? You know, he's very interesting when really it comes to the roster. Yeah, because like everybody wants everybody wants their Debo now, right? Right. And like I know Montgomery's kind of shifted positions over time, kind of more into this role. But you do like those jack of all trades sort of guys. And again, he looked in what limited you know uh, reps we saw today. He looked pretty impressive. Um, you know, he was noticeable out there. 
And you know what? If he ends up being that third down back role instead of the six wide receiver, that potentially opens up a roster spot for Trey Nixon or Christian Wilkerson or a little Jordan Humphrey, right? Because are they going to keep seven wide receivers if we're counting Montgomery in that cat uh, conversation? It's also just a crucial role, that James White role. And if it's not Montgomery, they're going to have to break a trend. And whether that's giving significant reps to a rookie in that role and Pierre Strong, which is something they've really never done, or well, having Ramondre... Year. Well, Let no, not in that not, role. Not in the past. Not in that role. Right. Well, yeah. and then the the other trend break would be they generally keep the running backs very, you know, they have their roles. It's early down in pass catching. There's not a ton of guys who do both. Rex Burkhead did. He's really the only example of a guy can think that did it full time. So if Ramondre is going to go, you know, the pass catching role, is that it? Is he yep. then just a pass catching back and it's Damian Harris and Kevin Harris on early downs? Or is Ramondre doing both? getting that usage rate up around 50%, which is rare for a Patriots running back, and breaking right. that trend. So I think they want Montgomery because he fits the mold of how they like to handle that position. But if he, it's not him, it gets really interesting because they're going to do something they don't usually do. Yeah. Uh, throwing out a couple of questions here. Uh, little Jordan Humphrey. I think, I, think he led, I think he led the day in, who's that guy? You know, uh, <laughs> you know, from among the media there when he made a play, which means he made a few plays today. In camp, but again, I don't know if this is a person who necessarily has a role. But did you did you spot anything worth talking about here? Well, he looks impressive. He's a big guy, and I yeah. think you know with the, the case for him making the team. First off, it needs to be that six wide receiver thing, right? Where where Ty Montgomery's not in the picture, and then let's say that you know you know Devonte Parker has some injury troubles. Maybe they don't have a way to keep a third tight end on the roster. You don't have a lot of size in your pass catching group beyond Devonte Parker. Maybe he sneaks on as the 53rd player, just as another big body in the passing game, a guy that can operate in the red zone, a guy they can maybe use in line to block some safeties. Um, is that me saying that's what's going to happen? I don't know. You know, he doesn't play special teams. I think that hurts him. It's going to be really interesting to see once they get into the kicking game part of things. Is he out there covering kicks? Is he out there blocking on kick return? He has to do that if he wants to make the team. He has to. But there is a path there for him. If he keeps making plays, his name's going to come up. He's going to be part of the discussion, at least for a practice squad spot. So, you know, as good a first day for him as you can realistically ask for. And, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him down the road here. Okay. Um, as we said, uh, uh, there'll be a cast of characters pop popping in and out of this Patriot Speed podcast over the next few days. Um, some you recognize. Evan Lazar, as I said, is going to make an appearance as well. Um, so we will keep bringing you content on a regular basis, daily basis, while the Patriots are doing training camp stuff. They're back at it again tomorrow uh, at the same time early in the morning. So we'll have some observations. You can check out all our stuff over at clnsmedia.com. Subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't already. Hit the bell. Turn on your notifications and that way you will be notified when we go live. I think, what, around this time, Alex, it seems to be in your wheelhouse? I, I, You know what? I underestimated myself today. I was like, oh, I got all this work to do. I'm not going to be home until this time. We may we may be able to bump it up a little bit. We'll, we'll okay. talk it. So, I'm somewhere between four and six. Look for notifications. Yeah, you, can follow us. you can follow us, Patriot CLNS, on Twitter. Of course, you want to make sure that you're following everything Alex Barth is doing over at 98.5. So go check out all of his written work from today. Uh, uh, covering the Patriots, Alex will be there for the duration of camp as 98.5's go-to Patriots reporter. Uh, and I assume there's some radio gigs some, sometime soon in your future. Yep, uh, I'll be on Sunday, 10 to 1, along with Matt McCarthy again on 98.5, the Sports Hub, and the next Saturday from 2 to 5. Make sure to check out Alex on the there radio as well. And of course, 98.5, the Sports Hub.com all the time. 
all the time, all the time. And of course, he's here on the Patriots Beat podcast uh, for the foreseeable future. And as we said, uh, you know, look for some surprises in the coming days in terms of who pops on here. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Day one in the books. We're happy to have football back in our lives on a personal level. Alex, oh, yeah. it's always my favorite, my favorite media day of the year because you go the whole year, you go, you do all of this stuff, and then everything shuts down. Especially if your winter teams don't go late into the season, and yep. you stop. You, you don't go out anymore. You don't see the sun. You do nothing. And then this is like the first day of school vibe. You go out there and it's like, yeah. you see all your friends. I see all my <laughs> reporter buddies, the camera guys, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, hey, how you been? What you been up to? So it's just always that great vibe to have it back. And also it signifies, you know, the beginning of what we're all looking forward to, which is, a, you know, a football season here coming in September. So good stuff. Um, you know, as you said, day one, day two tomorrow, we'll be back here with the Patriot Speed podcast.